0: Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. This is the Living It Up podcast where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we talk Allison Corpuz's win at the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach, Sepp Straka nearly birdies every hole except the last to win the John Deere, and Cam Smith both wins and loses on the 18th green at Live London we also take a quick preview of the likely political circus to come at the U.S. Senate. But first, this episode is brought to you by B Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. B Dratty still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, T-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bee Dratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PGA Tour winner Billy Hurley III. Let's kick it to you, George. Let's talk U.S. Women's Open.
1: So first off, I want to say that the seeing it at Pebble and Pebble in July, the PGA Tour has got to redo its entire schedule. Put a pin in that thought because Pebble showed out. It was awesome to see the women there. Um, they played, of course, the, you, know, you don't see. They played up, and so they play it kind of like, you know, the men played it. There was some just debate over whether the setup was good or bad. I personally thought, I think the final score was nine or eight under. I don't forget which one. So that's actually like a great, I think for a U.S. Open, anything north of that, and everyone's yelling it's a birdie fest. Um, but it definitely wasn't, you know, a slog to win by a plus one. Um, you know, uh, Allison Kapuza, like she played great. I mean, she did what you do to win a U.S. Open. Um, you basically go up, go out and throw up 18 pars. I think she might've
0: been two under her final round. Um, yeah, three under par. She had six birdies combined with three bogeys. The 17th was a little inconsequential cause she had a pretty yeah. commanding lead, but yeah, she, six birdies on the day.
1: Yeah. So she, she had it in her pocket. So she just went out, played her game, looked steady the entire time. Um, and you know, Oka kind of fell back. Um, and so you know, she kind of, I think, re- could recognize that she was cruising, um, and it looked like it. And but then it was kind of cool because you had Charlie Hull just taking it deep. I think she shot sixty-five, um, or maybe sixty-six. Had a sh- had a look at sixty-five on the eighteenth green. Had the quarter of the tournament. Nice girls don't get sweets when she basically was like, "Well, what do you want to do here? Do you want to go for eighteen and two, or do you want to like lay back?" She's like dude we're not playing for second place like send it and she was behind the tree ripped a low three wood made it all happen and and she was great she's always great on on camera she actually is one of like the more charismatic uh, women's golfers and they need to have her mic'd up in every event unfortunately she often takes turns going between you know 67 and 77 that's kind of that personality So, um, but also, since we're living It podcast, tremendous follow on Instagram, and I'll leave it
0: at that. Yeah, Charlie Hall with a six under par 66, as you mentioned, George, kind of got off to a blistering start. She birdies four of her first six holes, sort of really pushing the leaders there in that in that final round. And, you know, she hits it underneath, essentially, the, the, the center line tree there on the 18th at Pebble Beach. And and was, you know, mic'd up uh, her and her caddy for that, that like sort of fateful, do we go for this? Do we try the hero shot? And she's like, heck yeah, we're going to, we're going to try the hero shot. We're going to, we're going to go out and win this thing. Comes up a bit short, obviously. And like you said, Alison Corpus did the work up front to let her kind of cruise, let herself kind of cruise into the finish. And so in that way, like the only knock I would give it is like, gosh, you really want the 18th hole for the U.S. Women's Open to be like, super consequential and it was like a little bit of a downer at the end when someone can just cruise to victory but still tip of the hat to her you know i thought one thing that was interesting is you know michelle Wee's final u.s women's open or final competitive event she's from hawaii in many ways like uh alice Corpuse talked about how you know she had even broken some of michelle Wie's records being the youngest to ever qualify for the u.s women's Publix, and sort of lived in that shadow being from hawaii as well and sort same of high always, school yeah, yeah same, same high, high school, school at the same high school as uh, Barack Obama, Barack Obama. Oh, wow. President, President Barack, Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite the hall of fame they've got there as you walk into that high school. I'll tell you what. Is so, that but Puna anyway, I-
1: yes. Oh, okay. Punaho from there. Yeah,
2: Punaho,
0: yeah. Yeah. But I thought it was it, it was, you know, great to actually hear some of those caddy player exchanges down the stretch and uh, I think always
2: can, can we talk about the caddy player exchange where the caddy didn't know slow play penalty like was shocked? Oh that Ooh. like they might get it's a not just a fine, and we're actually to lose the there's, there? there's actually a stroke involved with this I mean that one was unbelievable I mean so what they were put on the clock you know on 11 or so the final group and then um they got a bad time I, I don't I don't know what I, I can't recall which hole is they got a bad time of the officials you know telling them one more bad time will be a stroke penalty and the caddy's like wait what like there's a there's a stroke? Pen. Are you serious?
0: And, and that is like one of the things that was an undercurrent, sadly, of this championship is that there was a lot of slow play and and not just slow play with people being on the clock. But I, I felt like and again, we've talked about this being perhaps sort of a, uh, you know, broadcast decision to to show pre-shot routines. There were just a lot of like slow pre-shot routines at times, like oh. slow exchanges where it's like, do I have to be like sitting here watching them evaluate this lie or this shot? Like, can't we show some other golf that's happening right now? And I wonder, George, if that was like, you know, maybe they only have so many cameras or so many like fixed cameras versus, you know, players, player sort of focused cameras. And maybe it was a casualty of that.
1: Well, I, I can't speak to what the production decisions are related to equipment and, and personnel, but I I cannot emphasize enough how much that drives me nuts, um, particularly like on the greens when they show the routines, the putting and everything else, like that is. And it's reinforcing, right? Cause that's what you, you become what you see and you see enough of it in all these green routines. And look, I get it, right? Like anyone who's played competitive golf knows that the green is when everything really slows down because you're looking at it. The putts take time, you're making reads and, and like the late in the day out at pebble POA, it's not easy in the best of conditions. So like, i I understand your your compounding issues there but you don't just show it on tv right you can cut away to someone in the fairway someone like i think you know starting and i started to really notice it probably on like the eighth green where we were watching he said like there are still lots of people on this golf course hitting a lot of golf shots that are somewhat potentially consequential can can we cut to those can we watch golf shots and come back like You've watched this person putt now for four days. You know that this takes 70 seconds
0: for and, them to and, get and to And I it. do think one of the things that the PGA Tour does well is when a when a popular player is down the leaderboard, they show them late in a round, if nothing else than to give context on the holes we're going to go play and where the pins are and sort of what the drama might be building toward for those final, call it, five or six holes. But in this case, it was just kind of focused on, you know, three or four players all at the top of the leaderboard. And yeah, we're showing all the routines. We're showing all the, all the, all the kind of slowness that can be golf at that level.
1: And, and the other thing is, and I will say that, you know, the Charlie Hull discussion with her caddy, right. That became the quote of the tournament. And I can see where they're like, look, you, if we don't catch that, we miss it. But they have the mics and the cameras to If we watch NBC is notorious for, Oh, we're going to, cut over to the eighth hole, and you know every single time we're going to cut over to the eighth hole, someone's about to hit a 60-foot bomb, and sure enough, like, oh, wow, that was a 60-foot putt. How'd they know? Like, that's really good. It's because it's been pre-recorded, and no one knows in real time when all this is happening, so they can, if there's a good conversation happening, cut over to that one. If it's just, well, I don't know, I think it's like a flighted seven. Should we go with the high eight? What do you, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to just, do I gas? You know, like, move on and unless it's like a really interesting discussion or there's some animation there.
2: Yeah. It's interesting, right? You, Brian, you guys were talking about cameras and, and whatnot, Brian, to your like last four holes or whatever, kind of setting that up for the leaders coming down in the next 30 minutes to an hour or whatever. Well, they obviously have cameras there. They don't have the probably, you know, the handhelds in those groups, but, but they have the fixed tower cameras. So you can at least get some context for some of the shots. There's no question about that. Um, I guess I just go back to, in some of this discussion, go back to what Jerry Foltz said when, when we had him on the pod earlier this year. And um, you know, he, he said one of their production guys, uh, I Jerry's with, with the live golf league now, but one of the, their production guys said, if players and caddies are talking, you immediately stop talking because nothing you can say is better than anything they will say. And so there must be a sense of that, right. Trying to make sure you capture that gold moment, you know, on the 18th fairway with, with Charlie hole, but you're obviously going to capture that one because they're in the last group, you know, or, or, or the last couple of groups, you know, kind of thing. So, um, and you certainly can pan back to, to, to your point, George, but that's the only thing I can come up with is that you're just, you're not willing to risk losing that piece of gold.
0: But, but here's what I'll say too. And, and, I, I don't want anyone to take these sort of negative comments about the broadcast, and I, I don't, I'll call them nits. I don't think they're super negative, but to take away from that, this was an awesome U, U.S. Women's Open on so many levels. You had the drama, I'll call it drama, the 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 sort of camaraderie and celebration that was Annika Sorenstam and Michelle Wee finishing up on Friday to both you know walk up eighteen kind of together to finish up their their rounds and finish up their time at the U.S. Women's Open. You had a number of, you know, just great storylines, you know, Bailey Tardy kind of being, you know, a a relative no name for I think a lot of people that don't follow the women's game super closely, you know, taking the 36 hole lead, you had, you know, amateurs that kind of shone brightly and then faded down the stretch. So I think it had a ton of drama across the leaderboard and certainly just seeing the U S women's open at Pebble beach was such a refreshing way to see that golf course. And just to George, you said this on our preview of Chantel McCabe, like, That's actually the golf course that, that we all play from a length perspective. And these women, quite frankly, hit it just as far, if not farther than, than a lot of, than a lot of men. And so like seeing more approachable golf, seeing more like, uh, use the word Olympians, George, like you're not seeing like these people that are so unattainable and so untouchable. You're actually seeing like human golf, like Bailey Tardy hit a few shots that quite frankly, were a little bit scratchy, but it's like. Yeah, that's that's golf. That that's like major championship pressure and tough lies and tough shots. Yeah, and and no one is going to ever fault seeing nervy shots and
1: you hate to see it kind of if you appreciate the competitive piece and the whole deal, but like you you do like to see it, right? Like you you kind of do like to see it come off the rails just a little bit, keep it interesting. Um and I mean she held it together, right? Like I mean, if I don't I didn't even look at the Well, I did look a little bit at the gambling odds, but, you know, she would have been plus 10,000 probably, or some absurd number. And for her to be right in the mix and then you're kind of like, oh man, is she going to do this? This is exciting. And then it kind of like falls apart a little bit. Um, And I mean, and it sounds terrible when someone has a four stroke lead with two or three to go, you're, you're kind of hoping for something to go a little, just a little wrong to make it some drama. You know, you never want to see someone just collapse because you, you know how that feels, or I know how that feels if you've ever been in the position of, you know, a devastating loss that was in the hand. Um, so you, for a drama perspective as a fan, you kind of want to see it get more interesting. But back to Pebble, Sunday was a Chamber of Commerce day there. It was absolutely glorious. They're showing the beach. You could see how clear the water was. You could see down into like the kelp beds and some of the rock formations. And and this was my p- comment when we started. For the life of me, I do not understand why the PGA Tour does not redo its schedule, go to Florida in January, do like Texas or, or Arizona in February, do Texas in March, then go do some of these like midwestern places which i know is a little iffy still in april may go to california in july when it is miserable miserable in nearly every tour stop that we have left the weather is glorious Primetime golf when you have no sports to compete with like it, to me that seems like an utter no brainer to to rejigger the cali- the the schedule to have the Calif- some west coast stops in summertime when There's nothing on. You're out all day anyway with the family doing summer stuff. And then you come home at like 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and you still got the back nine to watch.
0: I agree. There's some East Coast bias there for sure. We're on the East Coast, so it is great to watch primetime golf. And I've often said like the the majors that I really, really enjoyed were some of the West Coast majors. And this time of year especially, you're going to get better weather in Seattle and Portland and Monterey and and these places that are not – sort of, you know, the Midwest and, and in the, in the sort of sw- the sweat belt that is, that is like sort of the, the middle of the country right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it just seems like, I mean, now that anything's anything and everything's on the table for golf, we should, that should be looked at. So this
2: definitely set a new standard for the U S women's open. Right. I mean, I think that that's like the, maybe the truest thing. I think, you know, Mike Juan coming from the LPGA over to, you know, the USGA now, um, has, has a vested interest in the women's game specifically. And, and I think that you'll see some, some different, you know, things come about with that. I it wouldn't surprise me. And, and and I think Mike may, may have made, may have even made a comment to this ilk that, you know, they're going to work to get the women's purse to the same as the men's purse for, for the U S open, which will be quite a feat, um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of it all, but this is, um, definitely a, a new standard for the women's game as far as major championships are concerned. And, and I thought it was a cool little nod. They used, uh, the USGA used basically the exact same pin sheet for Sunday at the women's open as they did for Sunday at the U S open men's open in 2019. Um, obviously the eighth hole difference since that's a new green, but, but all the other ones are, you know, nearly identical from, from the whole locations that year in 2019 on the men's side.
0: Yeah. And the yep. one thing I'll say, and we talked a little bit about this is like, there's something to be said of the men's game is played so much through the air that sometimes I think you lose a little bit of the nuance on the greens and just seeing the ball roll out a little bit more kind of showed a little bit more character of pebble. Like I, I think I saw more green run out and more green complex contour that I'm used to seeing on the men. Cause the men can hit it so freaking high and with such great sort of spin, spin. And control. Yep. And so it just, it's a different type of target golf than I think the women. They just have to play when the swing speeds are lower and the spin rates are, are much, much lower.
1: Yeah. No, I will say the the one hole, I think, for the women with the pin where it was that kind of stunk a little bit, if we can, again, to Brian's point, not criticize but pick nits, is is 17 on Sunday. Almost every one of the women landed it on the downslope into that back tier, and it just bounded into the rough in the back. I don't think. If I it's saw any it.
2: consolation, that was no different in 2017 for the oh, men because okay. you're well. playing from 40 yards further back, and it was like basically you either hit it in the front bunker and try and get it up and down, or you know if you cover, you're going over the back. I mean, oh, so but, it was well, it, you maybe. know it was basically the same. I mean, almost that hole's kind of it gets to be a little dumb if we're if if we're being honest a, a little bit again, you know, picking nits, but um, yeah, no, it was that that hole's you know you're just like honestly probably the only chance to get it close to that whole that whole location uh, of that green is to like land it one step over the bunker in the rough and hope you get a hop and trickle down the slope right so yeah. um <clears throat> or or hit the stick I love Jack Nicholas but
1: well and the the other thing and, and this may be a nod to slightly smaller purses the commercial load was enviable they showed a lot of golf there was not you know five shots three minute commercial break, seven shots, three minute commercial break. It it was, we got to watch a lot of golf down the stretch. So I, I don't know how you balance that because I get, if you get bigger purses, you got bigger money and those people want airtime. So, you know, uh, on the, on the, the, the big note, uh, NBC did a great job with, with the coverage of it because we saw a lot of golf without interruption and it was like really, really enjoyable.
0: And now, since we were talking a little bit about, you know, men's versus women's and, and little comparisons, I've been very, very critical of the men, particularly for major scripting, particularly Victor Hovland, if we're going to be specific, and some of the fits that are being worn on the PGA Tour. And I, I want to pose a question. I'll, I'll go to you, George. Is it possible that the women's fashion game is even worse than the men's? It
1: depends who we're talking about. Um, I think, and I, I don't know the name of it. I think there, there's a there's a clothing manufacturer that is like the the fit for like Asian golf, and it's an extraordinary. It's a very expensive manufacturer.
0: Patch, Patches hand or what? What is it called? <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no, no. Oh, I it's I got is it, it, is is it
2: like that Ola Q that that Adam Scott wears?
1: Or no, I don't no, you know Unique, how to say that. Unique Low or whatever. No, that's Uniqlo, yeah. that, that's terrible. Um, it's gosh, they only make good. beige, but it's it's like a big deal. And I think they pay a lot of money. And hey,
2: U.S., I, is it that brand? That might be, that's an Asian brand. Like anyway. Kajus? No, <clears throat> yeah. it's not
1: Kajus. No, no, no. Um, Kajus is like Swedish or Norwegian or something. Um, anyways, it's, I think they pay a lot no of money. No more free ads, George. No more free ads. Well, I can't, I can't even think of <laughs> the
0: name. Yeah, so we're think. just going to name
2: them all. We'll eventually get yeah. there. You, uh, know, you guys are so, names. So, 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 so you know what we should talk about is we should talk about the fit of Bidratty in that sense. Because well, that's got you, the best fit of a golf shirt
1: on earth. Well, and I can tell you, having just played uh, two days in utterly sweltering, miserable, miserable mid-Atlantic heat and conditions, the B Dratty stuff was phenomenal. I mean, you were you were sweating and miserable, but it, it wicked well. It was the the made the best of a really bad situation. So I was glad I had some with me um down for our event. Brian and I were down with some buddies for kind of a, a rider cup type event um, for a couple of days. And I can't emphasize enough how it was literally playing golf in a steam room for, I think, I think we got 45 of 54 holes we were supposed to play in. And I mean, it was, uh, you always see me with a drink in my hand when we were recording. It was so hot, I didn't want to drink. That's how bad it
0: was. Yeah, I, I joked before we hit record that we had a, a thunderstorm delay in the middle of the round. And most of us took the opportunity to go change clothes and take a shower because I could just wring my my socks, my shorts, my shirt out. Uh, but I was wearing a B-Dratty Sport. And so that was wicking quite well. And so really, it was just the uh, really just the socks that needed to be completely changed out.
2: New socks. So- what a game changer. Like that's an I mean, like whenever we played more than 18 on tour, the socks were changed. In between the rounds, even if it was well, like five holes to it, finish the first round, snooze socks out of the locker. I'll tell you what made me team. think
0: because I remember this happened at the PGA. This may have been Bell Reeve or one of those like really sweltering PGAs where I think they mentioned Tiger Woods like changed shirts like twice during the round. Like he just went in the bathroom and like swapped out shirts. Does that does that happen, Billy? Do you carry an extra pair of socks and like if at the turn you were just it was slow and it was sweltering, would you swap out socks even like mid round?
2: you know, I've never done that. I, I mean, I always did have an extra pair of socks. This is kind of like, you know, the overprepared Navy thing, right? But, um, always did have an extra pair of socks in the, in, in the bag more in the case of like, you know, having to hit it out of a pond or something and, you, you, you know, and getting water up over the sh- shoe and something like that, needing, needing a new pair of, uh, new pair of socks. But, uh, the only time I used my, my pair of socks, uh, that, that I had you know neatly in a in a ziploc bag inside the bag was in a in a rainstorm in Mexico when we didn't have the umbrella and so we didn't uh, you know it was one of those like not supposed to rain days pop up thunderstorm for like 30 minutes drenches you drenches the bag, drenches the towel was was using the pair of socks to dry off grips that day
1: uh, I actually I even went so far as I had a new pair of shoes and socks for each round. I was like, yeah, you're... no,
2: I mean, new, it, yeah, that's it's it's game changer. It's a game changer. Anyway, back to the fit of a bead shirt. Anybody listening here, friends of the Living It Up podcast, bead head to beadratty.com, 30% off your purchase using code Living It Up 30. Beadratty.com, Living It Up 30. Get yourself some beadratty gear for the summer months ahead. Best fit, best weight, tremendous color selection. Okay, done with the ad stuff.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you one guy that was living up his round of golf, and that is Sepp Straka. We will pivot now to the PJ Tour where they played the John Deere Classic. And through 14 holes, he had nine birdies and an eagle sitting at 11 under par with four holes remaining, a par 71 golf course. So he just needs one, one more to get at the house to shoot 59. But But more importantly, had a pretty healthy lead at that point and came to the last hole, you know, par four. Thinking about birdie, thinking about 59. Instead, makes double bogey. Billy, I'll, I'll talk to you. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, the the simplest question for you to answer: Are you thinking 59 at this point, or are you thinking let's 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 win this golf tournament?
2: I think you're thinking both. If if, if we're being completely honest in that moment, you know, you, you you we talk about, you know, you don't get that many chances to win a golf tournament, and so you have to take advantage of those. You get less chances to shoot 59, and um, now the shot that Sepp hit, you know, on, on the 18th is, is the worst miss that exists in that situation. Um, kind of, you know, overturning it into the water. But uh, I think you're, you're thinking a little bit of both, but, but, but in my opinion, you know, the, the, the play is hit it to 30 or 40 feet and, and, you know, give yourself a putt at it, uh, you know, not trying to stuff it and have more of a makeable look kind of, kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've obviously never been, in 59 territory i've been able to you know coming up 16 on the cusp of being able to break par looking ahead being like oh this is good oh this is an opportunity this is an opportunity hole Uh, i probably bogeyed them all but uh so it's I, i it is interesting to see a guy especially in the final round just go absolutely uh deep like that and and the interesting part is now he's kind of put
0: himself Back in the European Ryder Cup conversation, for because sure, and, and and not just him, but Ludvig Aberg with uh, T four shoots a final round sixty three. You know, just I, just three shots I, back of Seb Straka.
1: I, I think I think Aberg is uh, I I can't say lock, but just because of the lack of true horses on that team, and then the knowledge of like he for sure is if he's not in this one. His trajectory is indicating he will for sure be in the next one. So why not? Yeah, why not I, I agree.
0: It, where where there's no clear sort of like ten through fourteen on that team, you got to invest in the future. And even if he's, you know, the thirteenth guy in the other moment. year, you you pick him.
2: Yeah. Well, and even yeah. if he's overcome by the moment, it's an invest in the future, like you said, for for years to come. And of,
1: and, and the and the best part is it's it's you know a home Ryder Cup, so right. He's going to have the best fan experience possible to kind of get all the jitters out. You know, he can make some friends in the locker room. His, his talent speaking for itself at this point, obviously I'm sure they're going to sit and wait to see what happens at the the open, but assuming he plays
0: well there, um, I think we're going to
1: watch this kid in Rome and the good news is we're going to watch him for a while.
0: Uh, the other one that I think, you know, popped on the leaderboard, ended up shooting a final round 68 is Cameron Young. We've talked on the pod, George in particular, that, you know, a bright, bright shining star for what seemed like a full year and has had a bit of a, you know, downer by the standards of 2022. It's good to see him, you know, finish T6, uh, show flashes of brilliance. He's moved himself up to 49th on the FedEx Cup. And we, we had talked earlier, like this is that time of year when you start to look around and guys are running out of events to to crack that top 70. Um and he's he's gotten himself into that, into that spot. And and who knows if he can turn this year into a successful one.
1: I think we still have to wait to see. I don't want to per se truly knock the John Deere. It's not the deepest field. Um, so I'd be curious, you know, I'd like to see what he does, you know, particularly he'll have the playoffs to, to show out and see how he does in, in more competitive fields where the top is much deeper. Um, Cause yeah, he hasn't shown much this year and yeah, it's a, it's a great, indication of maybe he's finding his form again because last year I mean the guy was a top 10 machine he was kind of like Zalatoris the year before you are like wow this guy just all this guy does is shoot 68
2: 69. yeah playing in John Deere is is more an indication of for 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 a player like cam young this is is more of an indication of how well it has not gone thus thus far I mean if we if we're just being honest you know I've played John Deere every year on tour and, and absolutely love the event you know that that I've played out there but um it's not a deep field that's it's not that's that's a known quantity I mean we saw just pictures of you know former John Deere classic champions at Wimbledon not at the uh you know not not at the at the event in Moline but um so yeah definitely more of an indication of how it has not gone well from call it February through now for Cam Young and uh hopefully he's he's kind of turning it around and and the calculus i think changes um you know you almost wonder like justin thomas should have played john deere you you know i mean like you just start the calculus changes at top 70 to, to get into the playoffs and, and top 50 to get into designated events for 2024 i mean i think that some of these decisions are are, are quite different going going forward and i think you'll see a lot of guys play you know um
0: even next AM week, even next week we've got Barb- we've got Barbasol versus the Scottish Open. Do you think there are any guys that are actually looking at that and saying, where, where where's my best opportunity for for points in this scenario?
2: It's a good question. I'm not sure how the eligibility works. I imagine if you're eligible for Scottish, you're not allowed to play uh wow. Barbasol. That's typically you're not allowed to play down, so to speak. Got it. Um, so yeah. So the guys who are in Scottish are going to be at Scottish, especially for those who are in 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 the British, right? It, it makes makes sense before the Open Championship to to play the Scottish, and that's been a thing for many years before it was a co-sanctioned event with the PGA Tour. So um, it'll be more telling, kind of in the um, 3M and and Wyndham Championship and kind of those last couple events that you know lots of these guys normally do not play, and and you're going to see more guys play them specifically because of that top seventy. Cut off. If you were, if you were 80th, you might just, you know, take your, you know, in, in years past, if you were 80th, you you might take your roll of the dice with a couple of weeks off to get hot, you know, in the first two playoff events to get yourself to the tour championship and Eastlake, but now with the cutoff at 70th, you, you know, the, the the stakes are higher for the regular season piece
0: of it. Well, I hate to spend not as much time as we maybe ought to on the the fifth major, the John Deere, but the other golf being played this week was Live London, and it's it's amazing to think, and I'll just start with this. 1 year ago was the first live golf event, all the suspensions, all the drama, all the hoopla. Here we are. Now we have this framework agreement. We'll talk about the the coming Senate spectacle uh here shortly, but it's an interesting event because it's now the first, you know, repeat that we've had on the schedule. It's the first you know, time we've seen a course for the second time. Uh, the Stinger team played well. Uh, maybe that's that's an indication they like playing. Uh, horses know, like,
2: for courses. It's or a real
0: thing. Horses for courses, yeah. Horses for live courses. Uh, but but it's, this one was actually interesting because Cameron Smith both wins and loses on the 18th green. He wins the individual title, but had a putt to actually send it. And this is ironic too, to send it to the first team playoff. They've had so many close finishes that were a stroke here or there. They've yet to have this, like, team playoff, and every time they're always talking about, like, well, if there's a playoff, it's going to be, you know, this is what's going to happen, and this is how it's going to work in the playoff, and they haven't had one yet, and Cam Smith had what looked like, you know, an eight-ish foot putt to send it to a playoff for for his team, but he misses it, wins the individual instead. Um, I'll pass it to you, George. What do you make of, you know, this event? Because I kind of look at this event as, like, who's trending in the right direction toward the open championship. Obviously Cam Smith won the open last year. Does this portend good things for, uh, for Cam Smith going forward?
1: Well, it definitely doesn't portend bad things. Um, You know, it's the one thing we've seen from golfers is it's, it's really hard to, you know, sometimes they get it rolling and they're, they're on a heater and it happens. Um, I think guys, guys up at the top, it's less that they're on heaters. They're just kind of finding that really sharp edge that they keep a gets a little less sharp, but they're still very good. Um, so I what I did think was really interesting is in the post round comments, he was super bummed about not winning it for the team as well. like it was it was truly bittersweet for him. And I think that's interesting to see that these guys are really buying into the team concept and understanding that it's bigger than just themselves. Um, and, and I say that, and I, seeing it come from Cam Smith, like he is not, had it been, um, not to impugn him per se, but had it been Phil Mickelson, it could have been a little disingenuous, but coming from a guy like Cam Smith, like he he doesn't seem like he plays politics, doesn't seem like he's going to dance around things. And for him to be, like, man, like, yeah, it's, I'm super excited to win, but like, I can't help but feel like I kind of let my, my team down a little bit and, you know, it would have been great for those guys to to finally so win this one. this is
2: why you're, exa- so, so I get his comments, right? But I have to go back and say, what was his mindset on the 18th green? He has a one-shot lead with an eight-footer, okay? And so that eight-footer is to win the team championship but if it goes three and a half feet by, this is a now a very different story. Yeah, you're saying okay. he's got like three
0: mindsets I, here. Like,
2: I can't, yeah, and that, I
0: can't leave it short. But I, I can't also, leave I can't it short. I, it. I really
2: want to make it. But but four million is more than seven fifty. Okay, like let's just be honest, right? And we don't even know how they're splitting team money now, right? So I don't. I mean, I'm just. This is why we've said from the beginning they have to elevate the team. They have to put more money into the team championship. I totally get Cam's point that he's gutted that, you know, leash played so great and he, you know, Cam couldn't quite get it across the finish line to get the team playoff with the putt on the last hole. But, but 4 million to 2 million is a lot greater jump than 750,000 to 500,000. So, I mean, I think that these are, these, these these are real pieces of the puzzle that if you want to tell me team golf is, is where it is, and this is what guys care about, then put the money, where guys should be caring about it,
1: yeah, and it's—I mean, it, it's just—I think back to some Ryder Cup stuff and where guys had talked about, you know, being on a team. And I think it was like Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth when when they first teamed up, and it was kind of the Pete Captain America. And I—I I think it was a best ball where it showed, like, it turned out they shot like sixty-three and sixty-five in in best ball. Like they just went unconscious. And the, someone asked them the question, like, "Are you?" What what's your mindset there? And they're like, look, when we're both playing well, like we we still kind of want to beat each other. And I think it's just because in golf, right, you're just so trained, just beat the guy next to me, and everything takes care of itself. And I, like they were like, no, you're still trying. And so, like, I mean, the team concept it, it is interesting in golf because it's like, well, if I just go low, the team piece takes care of itself. And you know, to your point, Billy, on that 18th green, I don't know how a golfer can keep it all straight in their head, trying to juggle like the team versus the 4 individual.
2: million versus 750,000. Uh, okay. So
1: it's pretty, like, it's pretty clear.
2: It's,
1: yeah. There's, there's a whole comma that makes it real clear <laughs> yeah. what the, what the difference is. So um it, it's an interesting concept. I, I mean, I, I say it, I will say that it, in my opinion, it bodes well for live that the players are thinking about both. Now, which one is the the master in the brain we'll sort it out but the fact that they are thinking about both and they're like there's a buy-in here and and again like the interesting part is if you had told me 18 months ago cam smith would be this super big team guy i would have been like i don't i don't see it he just he has a very calm you know Kind of detached demeanor on the golf course, which golfers you kind of have to have. It's a very lone wolf thing, and to see him sort of buy into this whole team thing, I, I think it's like I said. I think it's good for for live for what they're trying to do. Um, it's it certainly adds drama. So you know you, we've seen events in the past where someone's kind of the the individual lead is safely put away by three, four, or five strokes. But the team thing's still shaking in the background. So the putts still matter. Um, you know, you could argue the US Open that we just talked about sort of lacked that drama. Not that I'm saying the majors need to have team components, but we've all watched events where it's like, oh, okay, well, they've got a five shot lead with three to play. Like, what else is on? I guess I'll go start making dinner, whatever it's gonna be. So the fact that this still there can still be this element of drama in it, I think is Ultimately, good, particularly for televised golf.
0: And and when I was watching that, I wondered whether it was Mark Leishman having a very very good round or a very very good tournament. I should say, Mark Leishman shoots seven under par in the first, 200 par in the in the second, five under par in the third. And for Mark Leishman, a guy who is who's been a fan favorite, he has not played particularly well in in live thus far. And for him to finish in in a tie for for second place. Was super meaningful, and I wonder if the regional or sort of country-based aspect of team golf in live contributes to that camaraderie even more so than. And, and I'll pick on. We don't know what it's going to look like yet, but this like Monday night team golf thing, like I get the sense those are going to be more like hit and giggle team golf, and we're all buddies, and yes, we're on teams, but we're competing. Blah blah blah. Versus like this is like no, this is my countryman. This is Mark Leishman. He's like probably. If I'm Cam Smith, like one of my mentors or one of my like, you know, guys that I look up to as a as a maybe almost like a father figure on the PGA Tour. And now I'm playing for him. And so I I think it just underscores the regional or country based aspect of team golf that I wouldn't. I think if I'm Jay Monahan doing this objective, empirical study of team golf. Well, well, we can't do
2: it yet. He can't do it yet. Yeah, you know he's not you know back until July seventeenth. So, so,
1: well, speaking of the regional aspect of Team Golf, I guess it's safe to say that uh, Oklahoma State guys and Florida State guys don't get along so great. Because uh, the the comments from uh, Brooks about Matt Wolf, and then Wolf's kind of response does not sound like the uh, the ACC and Big Twelve should
0: uh, mix less. Teams.
2: Less helpful when Wolf finishes DFL too.
0: Yeah, DFL. Uh, and, and here's plus, the thing: I know plus seven in the final round. Brooks Brooks got
1: crushed for it, and like I I've got to be honest, I've had all kinds of different coaches in my life. the The single most important and influential coach in my life was the most could tell you and would look you right in the eye. Without ever raising his voice, never shouted in practice once, but would just tell you the most devastating things in front of the team, and it was, it was just like, oh, okay. I mean, I remember being a freshman, and we're we're out on Lake Washington. And there's 24 of us on the water. You know, there's three boats out there. He stops all of them, and he's just like, George what are you doing? You may have won, I apologize for the language, Billy, five Western Manassas backwater buttfuck championships and gone undefeated in high school. You are the worst recruit here. Can you please stop being an asshole and just start rowing? I had no idea what I was doing wrong. I was like, okay thank you the backwater
2: butt western, ass
1: championships western wow. manassas. <laughs> so uh, the people of occoquan i'm sure are offended
0: to hear this for all for all our hitters that's but that's, but the that's what Prince the university of, of
2: washington thinks you know about about lake manassas like you uh uh at anyway, rate that's that's yeah. that's a tremendous story now i just don't i don't know that brooks cupia quite has the pedigree as a Kapkin, captain, captain pedigrees, pedigree. wrong. as as a coach, right? I mean, as a as an influencer of humans, yeah, you, yeah, you know, true. to 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 make comments in in this vein.
0: And, yeah. and I, when you hear comments like that, like how much of that is strategy versus venting versus you know just hey man, I'm going to be honest. And Brooks has had a bunch of those moments where he's like, hey, I'm going to be honest, you know, and just yeah, I don't think Brooks honest. has
2: strategy to this. I mean, like you know, it, what it was only what's four or five weeks ago where Matt Wolf was removed from the smash team website for, for 48 hours or so. And then, and then reinstalled, it was uh, kind of a, a a weird deal there. So this is not new. In, in, I mean, this is obviously a, a festering wound that continues to bubble over.
1: Yeah. And, and obviously you know, I think there's, and again, you're right. Brooks isn't a coach coaches, Good coaches know what buttons to push, and and they they know how to kind of figure a, a player out, or an athlete out, and and kind of like needle that thing that drives them. And you know, Matt Wolf, and and I will say to be critical of Brooks, Matt Wolf has been very open about you know sort of his struggles with with some of the competitive golf landscape as a pro, stuff like that. And you know, to kind of go on this. Just very strong attack is definitely probably not the way to approach him. Also, if we're golf's a numbers based game, pretty clear. You look at the stand, the individual standings of live golfers. uh, I believe sitting at 47th of 48 is a Chase Kepka. So maybe we should be taking care of the Thanksgiving table before we start really like lacing other guys on the team?
2: Well, I mean, to be fair, Chase didn't have any promise. I, I mean, he's just, he's just there, you know, I, I'm, I'm here so they get my brother. Right. I, I mean, like that's, oh. I mean, I, I signed so that they could sign my brother. Right. I mean, like that's, that's the truest thing about Chase Kupka. Good, good for him. But uh, nowhere near the promise or potential of a Matt Wolf.
1: No, I, I absolutely. I can see Brooks's frustration of like, dude, you have. We've all seen it. Like it's in there. Like you got to go find it. And 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 maybe what we what we haven't seen. And listen, maybe it'll be in full swing season two, Brooks. You know. Putting his arm around Matt Wolf early and being like, hey man, we got this. Like, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna figure this out. And everything happened behind the scenes and now he's finally like throwing his hands up. You know, I'm, I'm exasperated. I doubt that actually happened, but you know, anything's possible.
0: It is wild. One we, other we Go ahead, Brian. a month ago, Billy, and we're walking the range, and he was the only player, quite frankly, that like you looked at and were like, uh, it's just not, it doesn't look sharp. It doesn't look like it's down the line. It looks like there's too much movement on the ball. He was the only player that we all looked at, both of us, and we're just like kind of scratching our head. And again, this was a guy that had just like set the world on fire in, you know, two 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 and a half years ago and looked like he was going to win a U.S. Open. And, and now here we are.
2: Yeah, no question. So the other news in Live Today is that they've reversed decision course on Jeddah, and they have moved the final Team championship event back to Doral, uh, so they're going to play Jetta first and and then come back to Doral in late October. So um, clearly, you know they continue to to change when when needed to change. Uh, you know that was not a popular decision. It seemed like from the jump in in February when they announced their schedule, and and it seemed like that got flipped very much at the last minute from Doral being the season ending championship to jetta and now uh you know four months in advance flipped back so i do wonder how much of the uh the, the
0: framework agreement had to do with that you know like the <laughs> fact that the framework agreement's there and the PIF for all intents and purposes has has the seat at the table now maybe this event being on home soil was less important to them and and for what it's worth we talked about this last year i thought that team playoff format with you know sort of the, the captain versus captain matchup and and then you know a, a,
2: it was the best event they played
0: it was it was the best event i thought by far in terms of the drama each day like it it made you watch the first and second days and and right now for as much as i i like to watch golf like i don't watch rounds 1 2 and 3 on the pj tour very much and i don't watch rounds 1 and 2 on live very much
1: yeah and i i mean i'm curious if my thought on it was like interesting they there's been a lot of rhetoric and, you know, the PGA tour players have kind of been like, what's going on? No one, like, is anyone going to loop us into anything? And then Liv does this thing that appears to be very much player centric because when it was announced, you know, no one player was cited or, you know, came out and said anything out loud, but a lot of reports were like players were not happy with that change. And, you know, A lot of those guys live probably in the Southern Florida area. And we're like, dude, if we're done, can we just like take a 30 minute flight home or drive our own cars home rather than have to like fly halfway back around the world. And, you know, when they, when they did the event in, in Jetta last year, people were critical about crowds that live at a lot of tournaments. I mean, that, that no crowd was as loud in the wrong direction as, you know, the waste man, or as loud as we'll say Adelaide was this year, but in the wrong direction because it was a ghost town.
2: Yeah. So seemingly a good change for Liv, um, why they made it where it's going in the future, obviously we'll see.
0: And so talking about now off the course things, uh, let's talk about, all the things that have gone on with this framework agreement um it seems like forever ago it was announced it was only you know a month and four days ago um about a month ago jay monahan had a medical situation he now has announced he's coming back in in a, in a week's time on on july can we, 17. can we use
1: air quotes when we say situation going forward until we have details
0: and and Billy you're a member of the PJ tour like do, do you feel in any way like he owes the membership he owes the the golfing public a bit more about this quote unquote you know air quotes medical situation
2: in many ways i do i, I mean i i fully want to respect you know jay and his family and their privacy and and that's real but but at the same time when you're the leader of a corporation i kind of want to know that you're reliable you, you you know we talk about having a capable and and reliable leader for the PGA tour and and there's some that that feel that Tyler Dennis and, and Ron Price currently are not capable so if jays the capable one we we also need to know he's reliable and and i think that part of knowing he's reliable is knowing what was it that has affected him for the for the past month and how likely is that to reoccur And, you know, what are the, you you know I mean? Like, and, and so, I mean, I can understand not releasing it to the public. I can understand not releasing it to the membership, but it has to be released to the board. Doesn't it? Like the, the board has to be able to make an objective opinion of who the commissioner is, who the leader of the organization is, and is he a liability to the organization or, or is he the capable and reliable leader that we need going forward? And, you have to start thinking about this stuff. You know, I've said a couple of times on the pod, like PGA Tour players are going to get a crash course in board governance, you know, and 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 corporate governance because the PGA Tour is becoming a corporation, not this friendly 501c6 organization. So, um, it's it, the 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 board piece of this to me is is where this really lies and. As in working for any company, as in being a you know an investor or or an employee of some company, you, you have to you know rely on the board to put the right people in place a, at the top and then those people to put the right people in place you, kind of down the org chart. but uh, I certainly think the board needs answers, deserves answers, should get the answers as to as to what his condition was, how much of it is still present today you know uh et cetera et cetera and i don't think that that's different than any other company on on earth especially a publicly traded company for sure um and you know there's there's executive physical stuff and 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 insurance policies and all that kind of things are around you know most big corporations and so this is one thing that the board is is i think gonna have to take a look at from from my talks with with some players um at least not every board member has any more information at least not all the board members policy board members of the pga tour have more information than the the general public if some do i don't know but the ones i've talked to do not have any more information than you know than we all know here
0: and speaking of the board the board is dropping like flies we've got randall stevenson uh who's been on the board for a number of years actually 12 years resigned um and, and in his resignation, or what was reported about his resignation, that he was, you know, ready and and wanted to resign soon after the framework agreement was announced, uh, but waited until now because I think he was respecting that there was this medical condition and and sort of you know, uncertainty surrounding his his medical situation ongoing. Uh, what do you make, George, of of Randall Stevenson resigning in in uh in this fashion from the PGA Tour board?
1: Well, I mean, in in some regards, I'll say I respect it because this was the rhetoric they marched on for the last year and he's walking the walk or he's walking the talk. So there's I mean, I, I guess he I respect it because he was like, No, this is what we're doing, and I'm I'm hundred percent on board. What what is more interesting to me? Since the framework has been announced, is one side is doing a lot of talking and a lot of explaining and a lot of no, no, this is great, this is great. I swear this is great, this is gonna be great, we're gonna be in control, this will be great, this is be great. And one side is like, Yeah, cool, man. We're just going on our days. Like, this is awesome. Um, and there was a, a really long thread thrown up on Twitter. I don't even know. I could, all, all the days blend together with all this news that comes out with a guy walking who kind of walked through and was like, Hey, by the way, just so you know, even a minority investors can get some pretty powerful veto rights and have stuff in there. And
0: Phil Mickelson chimed in. He's like, yeah, you're right. So yeah, it, was the, it was the one that said like all the customary protections and all the things and, and basically saying that this I'll, I'll use air quotes again, control of the board may carry with it and we'll see because tomorrow is going to be the senate hearing and who knows if anything's going to come out about these they're going to
2: say means, nothing tomorrow okay i agree that is they're grand say nothing. like let's just okay moving on but but
0: it, but but eventually these customary protections of the PIF are going to have to come out at some at, in some way shape or form you're going to have to know like what veto rights that they have within maybe not george you, yeah, you say? Well, i mean here, here's the if if
1: I'm looking at this and being like, how does this go? Like what's, what happens over five years? What I think probably is going on here is when this for-profit entity is created, it will, the plan is most likely to have it go. And then, you know, like any other private thing that gets outside investment, probably go public at some point until it goes public, there's no reporting requirement. I mean, think about the WWE, like it went public and until something goes public, there's no reporting requirement about bylaws. You know, there's no, you know, filings that have to happen quarterly and all these other compliance standards. So we may never truly see or know. Now it seems like every time something happens, some leaks come out and then all of a sudden we get it. So I'm sure at some point it'll get leaked, but there's no requirement for it to ever be made public. Um, there's a million private corporations out there that no one has any clue how the internal bylaws and rights are written. So I, I, to me though, you know, I just think about it in like the legal context, and you know, in the legal context, if you're explaining, you're losing. And it seems like only one side of this feels like they have to constantly be explaining, and the other side is really good. Um and it's the side who has the guy who's gonna be writing the big checks and I don't I mean listen if one thing you can say about live has been like they've kept a lid on players they've the the messaging that comes out everything seems to be very tight there's no rogue statements there's no you know guys popping off in in interviews getting mad about this or that and I, to me, I just think that everyone who wants to crow and say the PGA Tour won, uh, just I, I think we have gotta wait. And if for no other reason, you know this this thread that came out, you know the guy dug into it. And he's like, um, guys, bear in mind, buried in there, and not not necessarily buried. Just read it; it's in there. I the think was only four or five pages long. Is Team Golf will be part of professional golf? The night might not be called Live anymore. Team golf will be part of professional golf. That is in the agreement. And I I just think the live guys are, are the ones that are like, yeah, this is great. We're, we're like, live has to get OWGR and that has to, but. Well,
2: well, yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's actually the line to me in the framework agreement that, that says like, how does live not have a 2024 season? If there's a good faith gesture by the pga tour to help live establish world golf ranking points like if this were going to go away hands down no problem see you later at the end of 2023 then what do the world golf ranking points matter except that they would matter now retroactively because if you're the PGA Tour and you want Brooks Kupka to be ranked now 12th in the world instead of 33rd in the world, now you got to put them back in there and, and redo the whole thing, right? So it's 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 a fascinating piece of the puzzle. But to to say that the PGA Tour won and and to continue with this rhetoric, I mean, it's the only rhetoric they've got. You, you, you know, I mean, Ron Price wrote this op-ed in the in the Athletic, which we haven't quite figured out why he wrote it in the Athletic and not some you know, more well-established journal of business or paper or whatever. But, um, you know, he basically says the PIF is the best option, you know, for the tour. This framework agreement is the best option. And to to, to me, it's kind of like, well, no, duh, it's the best option for the PGA tour. Whether or not it goes through, whether or not it finalizes, whether or not the Senate blocks it, whether or not the Department of Justice blocks it, like, I have no idea, but no duh. At this point, it's the best option for the PGA Tour because you're taking a competitor and bringing it kind of under the same umbrella, and and you've said for the entire time the PGA Tour said we can't compete dollar for dollar, and 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 the litigation was costly and all these things. So so they made a liability go away in the litigation, you know, a continuing liability line item on the balance sheet, and and you brought a competitor, you know closer and kind of under your wing, we can debate about who's in charge and whatever. That doesn't matter. You're at least in some form working together now um, if if the framework agreement goes to a definitive agreement. So, um, you know, uh, the, what, what we just, the, the truest thing, and this is really the only thing that matters at present, you know, Ron said this in his op-ed is, you know, we had to do it secretly because of the way it was done and we regret the way that that happened but it was necessary and he basically said as more things come to light you'll understand that this is a good agreement it's like okay well we're waiting you, you, so, you know I, I mean we're waiting for more things to come to light tell us ron because you're right all so we're my, left to do is speculate
1: my, my question on the wrong price and the timing of it is how much of his Make how much of that coming out today is because of what Randall Stevens said yesterday, which was, "I hope they find something else to do. I hope they find a different alternative."
2: Well, I think probably a little bit, a little bit, but but also it's on the eve of this, you know, or on the afternoon of the Senate hearing, which was the same thing the Senate was going to say, is like, "You guys can't be doing this with." the public investment fund, the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia. And they're going to say, well, this is our best option. And here's why. And here's, you know, why it matters to the sport, and why it matters to professional golf and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, I mean, my guess is, is it was preloaded before the Randall thing. And, and heck, the Randall thing could have been preloaded. I mean, they obviously knew it was coming in in a sense, right? If he was um you know he was he's been very critical i'm told you know at at board meetings or candidate at, at kind of you know uh, asides at board meetings uh, dinners pre-board meeting etc um so i i mean i i do totally agree with you know back to the randall stevenson thing briefly is is i agree with you george at least he's walking the walk or walking the talk you you, you know i mean that's I, i've said that now for a little bit just thinking about like what PGA tour player is going to say, you know what? No, I'm out. I'm not doing business with those people. I'm not, you know, Saudi Arabia is too, too far, a bridge too far for me. Um, and so I'm going to retire. I've got enough, you know, what, what Roy McElroy, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, you know, what, what top top player? Scotty Scheffler. I mean, I don't know how any of these guys think about this other than Roy, cause he's very public with it, but. Um, which one of these guys is going to say I'm out because I, I don't, I don't want to play under, under this new agreement. The the answer is none of them is, is, is my suspicion. Um, so good for Randall to at least take the, take the road that, that he thought was, was the way to go and say, I can't participate in this going forward for, for whatever, you know, his, his reasons are, but, um, you know, the, the, the thing that continues to bother me about this process that, that's happened for now the last, whatever it is, five weeks, 35, 34 days, um, um, is that the PGA Tour is losing control of their own narrative. And 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 what I mean by that is like, we've talked about this, is like the, the, the players normally get a, a cursory heads up of any press release, of any contract extension, of anything going on. and And in a lot of these ways for the last 34 days, the PGA tour has been behind in telling the players and, and they're continuing to be behind because as Ron said, well, we don't know yet. We're, we're, we're still going to figure this out, but with the Randall Stevenson thing, I mean, the Washington post had it a full hour and a half, nearly an hour and a half, but before I, as a, as a player had it from, from the tour and, um, and, and, and the tour frankly was not very forthcoming with the reasoning of, of Randall's, um, uh, of, of Randall's resignation. You know, the Washington Post article had had way more color on 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 why and, and what and how and and those kind of things. And and the PGA Tour just kind of said, Randall's resigned and join us in thanking him for his 12 years of service to the PGA Tour.
0: And the cynic in me felt like as soon as that announcement came out, I wondered, what does this mean for alternative funding sources like is there is there uh, i've used the term white knight i know it's not the right legal term george what i don't know what it should be uh, the the no it is it's
1: actually a white knight and and it it happens all the time in like leverage buyouts things like this you get a hostile takeover and you you try to find someone friendly to come in that can make a bid that can keep your shareholders happy and you explain why and and this is why i think there isn't one like you know they're not walking through that door and and the reason is I think simply, Jimmy Dunn knows, um, I'm just going to be a little hyperbolic. He knows everyone who would have a pocket or a fund or anything deep enough. He could put together a syndicate. He could go to all these PE groups. He could he could rally it together, whether it's Rain Capital, Bain Capital, whatever you want to call it. He could go out and find these guys and throw it together. And I have to imagine... And I I think I said it, whether it was on on the recording or just to us on the side, when he came in in November, I was like, oh, he's here to make a deal. Because why wouldn't he have been on the board 12 years ago like Randall Stevens? He wasn't an unknown quantity back then. Everyone's known him in the golf world for decades. Um, And I have to imagine he took all the meetings. He sat – they went through it all. I mean, Rain Capital was in the All-22 meeting in Delaware. So – they had to have run this. They had to have looked at all the scenarios and there, there isn't anything else out there. And if there well, is,
2: even if there was, it doesn't work.
1: Right. Because that's my point. They, they yeah. know it doesn't work. Well, right? And I'm not even saying it doesn't work
2: business wise. Cause, cause I mean, we can, we can speculate on financial models, but it doesn't work for the tour because if you take, let's just pretend the tour does all this stuff without the PIF they get the same amount of money from a minority investor wh- whoever right let's just say tiger woods does it himself right and and who cares but they now you still have live it still exists over there as a competitor and that's where this thing starts to fall apart a little to me it starts to kind of just not pass the eye test like forget about the law test the lawyer test which which i Feel like I feel confident it can pass all of that because I don't think Adhera Lee would be doing it if he didn't feel confident enough that it could pass all of those boxes. But if you don't now partner with the PIF, then Yasser keeps Liv going and Yasser comes with more money to take more players at the end of 2023 and to make 2024 bigger and better for Liv. And so I mean, to me, it, to me, the money is inconse- inconsequential to this, you know, minority investment stake that the PIF will have. It doesn't matter how much money that is. That could be a dollar or it could be $10 billion. That doesn't matter because having them as a partner is what you need to make them not be an enemy. That's really what it is. It has it, it, It's almost like it doesn't matter that they're a partner. It just matters that they're not an enemy.
1: Right. And that's why I'm saying I, I just... I have to believe, and I think that's why when this got announced, like like a, Rory looked like his dog got killed. Like he watched his dog die. And I I, I believed it since tomorrow was announced. I believed it from the jump that they were they were angling to come in and be the private equity to do exactly what this is going to be for the tour. And they're out. Not out today. They're out, out. Because if Piff has right of first refusal, why? And listen, everyone who's done anything in life, everyone buries the hatchet, but they know good, well, where they left it. And Rory was so emphatic and so antagonistic that there's no way that I see Yasser and the Piff ever letting them have a seat at his table he's the chairman of the board i realize there's other board members there and there's only so many votes it's i I think that's that's what a lot of this was is they knew the
0: jig was up and they're out and this is where i often remark of what is posturing or positioning in order to get something approved or, you know, pass regulatory and congressional scrutiny versus what will this be in the fullness of time Call it the two to three year horizon for, for, for what is the future of team golf and live mean? What is the future of the PGA tour and the DP world tour and the live all coming and PF all coming together. And this is where, you know, we stand at the precipice of the Senate hearings. I was ready to say that this was going to be a nothing burger and that this was going to be, you know just some just some congressional grandstanding of the, of the of the grandest nature because that's what happens in Washington DC and then Senator Blumenthal came out with a a banger tonight George I don't know I'm going to pass it over to you to, to sure. I'll just read the last like, uh, I'll read the last paragraph which
1: I I found to be ridiculous and then I'll I'll explain kind of your point of why I think this is going to be just fine through the Senate but you know, he he does his usual histrionics of, of our elected politicians, and he ends with this. We hope that today's hearing will help us uncover not only the reasons for the PGA Tour's sudden reversal, those are pretty obvious, my words, not his, and what it means for golf, but to understand what similar investments by authoritarian governments with deep pockets could mean for our country, for our national security, and for the world. Now I'm gonna unpack this a little bit here. First of all, we know exactly why it got done, and he calls it the deep pockets. It got done for money, so we can move past that. And maybe I've missed something, Billy. I mean, you did serve you. You have you. You used to have a clearance. Like, were were you still intricately involved in our national security as a member of the PGA Tour? <laughs> that that one, that one kind of caught me as like. Hmm, uh, you know, the, we've had some famous things of, like, baseball players being used as spies. Um, everyone, there's a great podcast about the, the song Winds of Change that was allegedly written by the CIA. Um, give it a listen. It's actually really, really interesting. But to to go – when he goes here, he's lost – in my opinion, they've lost the plot. Now, as far as the, the antitrust and all of this stuff, here's the thing. The PGA Tour won – is learning a very hard and fast lesson. Don't ever, 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 ever go to ask Washington anything unless you already know that they want to give it to you. Jay kind of went to Washington asked him to do something and got Washington all spun up on this. But the reality is is this. Prior to live, the PGA Tour was the monopoly. It was the only game in town if you want to be a professional golfer. They had basically taken control of the DP World Tour and there was nowhere else to really play. I mean, sure, mini tours still exist and things like that, but for the most part, if you want to be a professional golfer, you played for the PGA Tour, and this only solidifies their pre-existing monopoly. So I I don't know what Congress would be like. Oh no, no, this is bad for for who. Fans have complained. Now we've got players all around the world. And so I just want to watch all the best players play every week, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So if we bring everything together in one way or another, again, better for fans because maybe they'll all coordinate a schedule now that like, Oh, Hey, cool. We can watch the DP world tour and then live events won't or whatever team events exist after this whole framework is put together. We'll see it all. And it's all there together, but for the players, again, it makes it better because now they don't have to sit there at night and think like well if I take 90 million dollars and I may never play certain events again or now I'm like oh cool I can actually go take equity stake in these things and still play all the events I like like in my opinion this deal everybody wins um I don't see who the losers are the only potential chess and well I mean he did turn it down um he probably told his Hashtag agent play ask. better yeah um I, I don't know the only person who but the only people who potentially lose in this would be sponsors because you know they can't pit people against them to try and get the best deal for their sponsor dollars i don't know if that's what Congress yeah but that is. would
2: be against different leagues right like i mean like yeah, there wasn't I that, that didn't exist previously so i mean I, I, yeah I, I mean i think your analysis is right though like who, who loses question right
1: by? Who I don't I don't see who the loser is in this at all, because players actually assume let's let's assume live in some capacity continues to exist. Who knows like what it'll be, but players actually have a choice of like do I want to be in this team thing? Do I want to be in this individual thing? There'll be something out there. I I, I think this is a lot of grandstanding in history. Yeah, audience. and
2: purses and money and, and monies will all go up. I mean that's the whole point yeah. of of this. As far as what you know the tour is is saying today you know is that this will allow them to do different business things that they couldn't do as a you know 501c6 now the interesting piece pivoting on 501c6 is how does a 501c6 have a for-profit subsidiary ron price's op-ed was very clear um, in his mind anyway that the pga tour will remain in control and that the new company pga tour enterprises is a subsidiary so i don't know how 501c6 has a for-profit subsidiary um and i did some digging into irs code and um discussion and, and whatever and and the, the the one you know so so this does happen there are plenty of 501c3s that have for-profit arms the 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 biggest example that was given is uh hospitals having a having a subsidiary a hospital system having a subsidiary to do a specific piece of the puzzle at a for-profit nature or a uh or a research center a school um spinning their research into a for-profit entity so that they could spin that into commercialization faster um as just under the 501c3 research piece or whatever but there's some legal stuff that has to be jumped through, from what I understand. It's, you know, the IRS themselves say it's it's uh there is a significant legal barrier to overcome um before uh a basically for profit arm can be held against the nonprofit. But the interesting piece that was written in here is is they talk about a parent company, a subsidiary. In this case, the parent company is a tax exempt company and the subsidiary is a for-profit company. It says a parent's exempt status may be jeopardized if the commercial activity of its subsidiary can be considered to be, in fact, activities of the parent. So if I take all of the commercial activities of company by A and put it into company B, which is governed by company A, somebody help me out that sounds, uh, it sounds right? like,
0: oh. once again, George and all your lawyer compatriots are the only ones winning. Gonna they are going to win big time.
1: Well, I, I would just ask you to look at professional sports leagues. The NFL, and it, it actually dumped its designation, but it was a non They've all dumped it.
2: The tour is the only but, one remaining.
1: But it had franchises that were for-profit. So with the team golf being going forward, As a critical component of this, I think what we may be seeing when this is all said and done is team franchises held by players that go out on the tour and, you know, just like you've got FedEx Cup points and all this stuff, you have the Aramco team series, that plays out and these teams get their own sponsor deals. The the manufacturers probably help put these together. You get, you know, the team at t whatever you want to call it. And you're just going to see, it's going to be a wildly different thing than we've seen before. But again, I come back to, I think it, I think in the end, it will be better for the players. It just, it's a, it's a huge leap from what they understand today to
2: what- I 100% agree. I 100% agree that this is going to be better for the players. The piece that I still push back on is that the PGA Tour that we know today, right? the, The way that we think about the PGA Tour today, that that organization will be in control. That's the piece that I push back on.
1: Well, I think the people- will be in control. The the tour and like if if all the business is gone, what what's the value to the tour of maintaining its 501, I think it's actually going to be a C6. That's
2: what it always is. It's always it's it, it is it is currently and will remain a 501 C6. Yeah. And but, it, it basically is you know, uh, it's a membership organization, so like as a as a member I can get benefits through the organization right it's a it's a trade association
1: okay so and like it'll continue to be that oh i
2: got that i got so
1: honestly one of the things maybe like we talked about last week with what patrick cantlay might be trying to organize maybe the pga tour actually truly truly becomes the player organization that gets a seat at the table for this bigger thing and effectively kind of works like a union does. I mean, tr- trade associations effectively. It actually work... could. Yeah, and trade associations work really to be a, a a unified voice, effectively to for some lobbying purposes. Sure. Like I, I work with trade associations quite a bit, and either it's you know to put together coordinated responses to regulatory filings, and you know when they have comment periods on regulations cool, let's go, let's go do that. Let's go do this, you know, but at the end of the day, all of the member companies, oddly enough, are all competing against each other tooth and nail for every inch of space they can get. And, you know, every time we have meetings, we
2: kind of like PGA tour players, we compete right. against each other every and, single week. And,
1: and every time we get together for a meeting, you know, you have to read off that like, Hey, we're, we're gathered here as the attorney present. We can't talk about pricing. We can't talk about you know, geographical areas, we can't talk about market share. And you go through the things you can't talk about. And my job in a lot of those meetings is just to listen to make sure no one says the dirty words that, you know, throw us across the line on Sherman Act and Clayton Act and all the other acts. Um, and and so I, I think, again, while we don't know how this is all going to work, and I totally agree with you, Billy, you know, tell lipton this is not their first rodeo on an extremely complicated transaction that has to pass a lot of muster. And Ed Hurley, he is not gonna jeopardize his reputation or career on some harebrained scheme that he doesn't think isn't gonna, that he thinks won't, can't work. So I I think they're gonna go do the dog and pony show in front of Capitol Hill. It's been done a million times before. It'll be done a million times again. And then this'll be in the rearview mirror Jay will come back and we will see where this progresses. Now I, I do think if we don't see something meaningful come out before the Ryder Cup, as far as how this whole new thing' is going to look and some some real details start to take shape, I'm going to be very skeptical of that 12:31 deadline because these things take a lot of time and if if we don't have some real things that make sense by then, or at least you can start to see it through the haze, it's like, what well, what are we doing here, guys?
0: yeah, that that was the thing that I was struck with when I read the Ron Price op ed. I think one, the the crisis comms folks got their got their hands on it and made sure it said the right things. The lawyers from an anti-competitive antitrust behavior got their hands on it and make sure it said all the right things. I think in this Senate hearing, we're going to hear absolutely nothing from the The representatives being grilled. We're going to hear a bunch of grandstanding and histrionics from the from the senators. Uh, we're probably going to hear some some cringy takes as we always do, where staffers have underprepared their member of Congress to to put themselves in silly situations. But I'm with you, George. Like the 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 real when the rubber meets the road time is going to be in the next call it you know two months because Billy, you know this. Like when it comes to scheduling events for 2024. You don't have until like November December to schedule events in the first half of 2024. You have the next month or two to figure out what those events look like.
1: 24 is set. We're not
0: nothing's changing until 25. See, that's what No, no, I I still think that there's a critical moment in time for the next quarter. Let's call it by the end of Q3. So by the end of September, where there could be a unified schedule put together that actually takes the current events in the PJ tour and marries them up with some events on the live circuit and like create some unified schedule. But you, you don't have a long time to do that. You probably have the next two months to figure that out. So yeah, like, I, I guess,
2: like we said, like the traditionally, and this is everything's non-traditional at this point, but the, the final policy board meeting, the PJ Tour policy board meeting is the week of RSM or, or, or thereabouts, like right before November. And so if anything, and and then when you start talking about in order for something to be ratified at the policy board meeting, it has to be have been presented at the previous policy board meeting, and so, like you said, let's just pretend they put a you know new one in in October. They've got to have pretty much the whole thing done in October to ratify it in November, and then workshop it through the holidays to to kick off in the next year. Or so
0: and so that's why I think you're running like playbook A, which is like, could we create a unified schedule for 2024 and beyond? Right now. And then playbook B is like, live you you continue building your schedule as normal. And PJ tour you continue building your schedule as normal. And maybe this thing never happens. Cause that was the other carefully worded thing in the Ron Price op-ed was, you know, if a definitive if an agreement's reached, if we can reach a definitive agreement. So there's still those, you know, air quotes big ifs, like maybe they won't reach an agreement. Maybe the players and Patrick Campbell grabs a bunch of guys and says, you know, we're we're gonna walk out.
2: I well. That would be I mean, grab your popcorn, but yeah, i
1: I think yeah, not say, I think that that's rhetoric more along the lines for the PGA tour, correct to, to tell their players like, no, 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 we want to listen. We want to listen like it we're we're here. Listen, man. it I, I guarantee you, a huge chunk of this has already been done for the exact reason Billy pointed out. you you the the bylaws say, to get ratified it has to be brought up at the previous meeting like all these things take time and like it's it's going to happen and i remember when i lived in california um i got to know the the staff that ran what was the fries.com open and that was a year-round thing right? i mean like the they yeah they, seven
2: they, eight people year-round jobs yeah. yeah
1: the as soon as the tournament leaves town you know they might go on a one or two week vacation and then it, it's right back lining up, you know, selling all the hospitality. The dates are locked. The course is locked. All those things are in place a year in advance, if not more. So I, I that's why I say 24 won't look – I don't think anything will look different in 24, except the interesting thing. And I want to go – when was Colonial played? Mid-May. And and that's Absolutely. when AT&T said they're out and there's no sponsor back, right?
2: That's Byron Nelson, but yeah, the yeah. week before Colonial, yeah.
1: So Byron Nelson's the one that's... So by that point, like, they knew they probably had a deal. They knew they were close to a deal. It got well, the, the,
2: the AT&T thing was to, to become a designated event at Pebble. They, no, they were no, no, taking I, 10 and well, 10 and I, making 20 for a designated event, right?
1: They haven't announced a new sponsor for that. They haven't announced a new sponsor for Honda, so yeah. arguably we've now got two slots on the PGA Tour calendar that could look different. And yeah, I, I,
2: I, so so I think that the, the tour schedule. I'm with Brian that the tour schedule set for 24. Um, or, or I guess that's George. I, I don't know who said what now at this point, but um, <laughs> I, I think the tour schedule is pretty well set for all the reasons that that's been pointed out is that you know, hospitality packages and whatever. But but what's not set is what those tournaments look like, yeah, who's playing in those tournaments, playing in those events, what is the format, etc. etc. Et so, and, so that's, that's, and that's, that's where I piece. go
0: to a place of like in a world where we're all friends. Could you see Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka playing at designated PGA tour events next year? Could yes. you see live players yes, taking spots 25 be. through 48 on a eight, 10, 12 I, event live calendar? Maybe.
1: Now I will say this. And I, I think this is where Malinati's comments probably will ring somewhat true. I think if you were a named plaintiff in the live lawsuit, we might not see you in 24. Um, if you were DJ and Brooks and some guys that sort of put their head down, exited stage, right. And thank the tour for the opportunities, but Hey, I think this is intriguing. I want to chase it. I think we will for sure likely see you in 24. Um, That's fair.
2: That's fair. I mean, you know, one of the things that you talk about things having to be rewritten is that, you know, the bylaws say that a, a player can't be on a disciplinary committee. So, so, so now you're you're probably going to rewrite that because I think players are going to want some, you know, representation on how guys are coming back and and what that looks like. So it'll be, you know, in, in all this incredibly interesting. Grab your popcorn. We'll I was going to
0: say, grab grab your popcorn. Still a lot of uh, details to be worked out as we move from a framework agreement to a definitive agreement. Boys, this was a a good one to recap what what went on outside and inside the ropes. Looking ahead, we've got the barbasol championship alongside the genesis scottish open a co-sanctioned event on the dp world tour and the pga tour and then the, the the open championship looming just just two weeks away uh and we got a special guest coming up uh in that time frame so boys this was a fun one to recap and i look forward to talking right, about it all we're, next we're, week.
1: We're, real quick real uh, quick one more so, one more thing we're we're not going to name the club and we're not going to name names but we had an interesting situation this weekend, and my com- my question would be, when when is it okay to relieve a caddy of their duties mid-round?
0: Oof. At the turn was going to be clean, and once word got out, you know, God bless the golf course for just coming and grabbing him on the on on the backside of the eighth green because it was probably the right thing to do in that moment in time. Um, maybe it begs the interesting question, Billy: What's the most like either ceremonious or unceremonious exit you've seen a caddy take on 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 a at a PJ tour event
2: i wasn't there for this i there 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 was somebody who dropped a bag on like seven and said see you later like i, I think, think it was in the canada to, it no 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 the, no, no, the caddy out. said see you later and the um, fan
1: a fan came out and finished it right yeah
2: something like that yeah i think it was in canada um I, I don't remember the details, so I'm not going to use any names to to hypothetically or, or, or incorrectly throw someone under the bus or, or, or whatever. But uh, th- there was a see you later. I'm out. I think it was in Canada five, six years ago. Um, yeah, the um, I've seen, uh, you know, I, I've seen caddies not show up and, you, you know, grab assistant pro number seven out of the shop to 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 carry around um that was actually uh y'all's uh we 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 all know uh, uh steve marino that, that was that was his caddy Oof. um wow. one one year also in canada i don't know why all these things happen in canada but um yeah there's you know there's been the like mid-tournament thing right there's but 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 the 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 seventh hole caddy, see you later. That one was, and when and the caddy left, right. That's the that's yeah, the. You just dropped the bag. You're like,
0: this thing's heavy. Good luck. Yeah.
2: See you later. Yeah. You know, other than that, you know, I've seen caddies go down for heat, you know, middle middle of the round, and you know, grab someone out of the out of the crowd, kind of thing uh, to finish the round, but. Uh, yeah, there was, I, I, there was I mean, a lot of heat
0: involved, but there were some other things. heat. I mean,
2: I, I think I think there's you know these are these are the traditional things that are involved in in in, in caddy player disputes: heat, alcohol, uh, y- you know, and 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 bad golf. Like typically, those are the three things that they go together. <laughs> Normally, everybody's fine if we're if we're playing good. So,
1: yeah, this this caddy was special. I, I on one his play, the I forget on the first hole he he chirped his bag for a bad putt and then later in the round like so he only made it to the didn't even finish the eighth green um before he was exited out by the club but the uh later on he's like that is the worst putt i've ever seen It was just like this guy and on the first hole when he said it the our friend who was you know his his bag literally got he's like you don't know me don't don't chirp at me like that. Like, yeah, do not. You,
2: you haven't seen it yet, bud. You never know. We, and, we
1: get... and again, this is like, this is a, not a small dude. And if he got in my face with this, I'd be like, sir, yes, sir. And it wasn't three, four holes later. Just, it was, it was like, oh boy. Um, yeah. I, originally, I was like, I might have to get in the middle of this and prevent this kid from getting killed. And then I was like, nope. I think I'm going to let this happen. So we
0: mistakes please. were made mistakes were corrected fun times were had by all though and boys this was fun to uh to recap and we will talk about everything that went on inside and outside the ropes this time and next week see you boys all right thanks for listening to the living it up podcast follow us on the twitters at living it up pod see you there